0: Just like that, the final hour is here on this Monday edition. Outkick 360 rolls on. Busy day. Been reacting to the NCAA tournament brackets. And coming up in 30 minutes, Andrew Bogut will join us. Continue to uh, weigh in on some some hoops discussion, including John Morant and the latest with his $50,000 Denver strip club bender. You can read more about that at Outkick. Chad, uh, also busy. Of course, with the NFL, Jimmy Garoppolo's headed to the Las Vegas Raiders. He's got a big contract. He's reunited with Josh McDaniels. And that doesn't mean they won't also bring in a rookie and have a chance to have a, a franchise quarterback beyond just the next season or so. And look, uh, Jarrett Stidham signs with Denver. Their backup has left. There's another spot to fill uh, for Vegas, and they could go high in the draft to, to find their player. Um Carolina is interesting. We discussed this on Friday evening, Chad. They move up to number one, and within like an hour, there were tweets from, and I I lump everyone in here, but the the quote-unquote insiders of the NFL tweeting that Carolina was still open for business for the number one overall pick. Why would that be the case? Um, I realize that the mindset would be we control the draft now, which was one of the quotes out of Charlotte. But if you're, true, if you're truly moving up to number one and you're paying the price they did, um, why would you say we're open for business for another team to move up when you know that Houston is at two, there's probably going to be another team at three, and you get your favorite quarterback there? It's been a little odd with Schefter and Peter King saying opposite things. Uh, Peter King in his column today um, mentioned that Frank Reich loves Anthony Richardson. Schefter mentioned that Tepper, the owner, really loves Bryce Young and that Frank Reich likes C.J. Stroud. So they're throwing in... uh, It's as if they had a second or third pick and not number one overall. Chad, they can't move out of there. They've got to find their franchise guy and... I don't know why you make this move if you don't know who you're taking.
1: They have to know who they're taking. And this is once again a case of everyone's going to talk to someone different in the organization usually as their source. So they're getting different perspectives on what it could be. I don't buy that it's a smoke smokescreen. You know, <laughs> someone's given false information yeah. out there because why? You've already made the move. You're going to pick whoever you want, right? So if you really wanted it out there, you could. If not, you're not deceiving anyone, Uh, if someone really wanted that badly to trade with, which would make no sense. But to trade with you now, they know who they want also. Doesn't matter who you're going to take because they want the number one pick to get one of these quarterbacks. Really interesting, though, Stroud, Young, let's say Richardson also, the three names mentioned here. Stroud, to me, makes a lot of sense for Frank Reich, but the report is that Reich loves Richardson, which doesn't make a lot of sense given Reich's track record with quarterbacks. Richardson makes the most sense for Panthers fans because the most success they've had with quarterback was with Cam Newton. Yep. Who would definitely, that's the closest comp I can come up with physically, athletically for this quarterback, yeah. and Anthony Richardson. Yep. So that would make some sense. Hell, we had Dan Mullen on our show compare the two without us asking, you know, saying that he's probably oh. the two most physically gifted guys he's coached were Cam Newton. And Anthony Richardson. And he, said, he said Anthony Richardson was more naturally gifted. Yeah, just pure yeah. athleticism. And then I think the best quarterback is, is Bryce Young. So, so where
0: do you value the ceiling of the player versus where they are now? Because if you value that
1: in the development, you go with Richardson, right? So I'm, I'm trying to look at this through all, through all the lenses of the prism and every different ray of light you could look through on this. If I am David Tepper... And I am in the entertainment business. Yep. And part of the entertainment of sports is that your team wins. So you want to win. It's a competition. Get all that. But I'm here to entertain. Entertain me, clown, me clown. Right? That's what Panthers <laughs> fans are saying. Um, Bryce Young has the most charisma of this group. The guy's already done Dr Pepper ads. He's in the Heisman House commercials. He's good at it. He is a ho- household name. Because playing at Alabama tends to do that when you're in everyone's spotlight at all times. So I, I would feel like David Tepper might want to go with, with Bryce Young. If I'm Frank Reich, C.J. Stroud makes a lot of sense to me. If I'm, if I'm him, just from right now, size, ability, accuracy, anticipation, the way he plays, he can move, but he doesn't. He's not too quick to move out of the pocket. He'll hang in there. Makes a ton of sense. But there's also, I I, I would not vouch for Anthony Richardson, number one overall. I'm not doing that at all. I'm not there either. But Young, to me, is the finished product with the lowest ceiling. But he's really good right now. C.J. Stroud could be a lot better than Bryce Young, right? I feel like his ceiling is a little higher than Bryce Young. Anthony Richardson's got the highest ceiling of all of them. And the lowest floor. He could also be Jamarcus Russell.
0: And yeah, but well, I think that Richardson works harder just by showing yeah, up. Look, he'll work he's not harder.
1: another comp would be Johnny Manziel. I don't think he's right. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel had question marks about his life outside of football coming into the draft, right? So I'm not yeah. I'm not comparing, but his floor is insanely low. Compare, yeah. We've seen that low floor at Florida. Now the ceiling is sky high. Empire State Build building height levels ceiling ceiling for him, so it's kind of pick your poison. I think I don't know. There's a, just an obvious pick. I would I would go in order, Young, if I'm the Panthers, I'd go Young, Stroud, Richardson. But you see how I'm saying every I side do. of this could order that totally the opposite, based on what you're looking for,
0: and you have a new head coach in Carolina that now has time to develop. I think that's also key. Do, you know, do you, the, the hot seat's not there for Frank Reich like it was Matt Rule. And, yeah. you, you know, and I'm always, a, you know, my line of thinking here, if you just close the door in a meeting, you know the GM and the head coach get together and say, okay, how do we make sure we're not getting the pink slip next December? Like it, that, that factors in. Because in the NFL, you've got about three years, roughly, give or take, unless you're Nathaniel Hackett and you have 16 weeks. Point being, I don't see Reich as a hot seat one and done uh, by making the hire that, that Tepper did. He's brought in because they're making the change, the overhaul at quarterback. And I think his opinion weighs heavily on David Tepper. So if the purport is that he loves Richardson, I think that's the way they go. I really do. And Tepper wants the franchise QB. He's been searching for that for years. Traded for Sam Darnold. They draft Matt Corral, who apparently they're now willing to trade. That's a report for the last year's third-round pick. And uh, we, we know how things ended at quarterback last year. Point being, I think Wright, who was the first to land a job, I think he carries a lot of say in the decision at quarterback specifically. And I think they're more in unison than they're than they're not, even though the reports are very opposite ended with what the owner wants and what the head coach wants.
1: Hunt, do you buy that there would be a lot of Panthers fans who would like to see Richardson because of comps to Cam Newton? Maybe, but I think there's also i mean I think fans want what's popular they yeah.
0: want they want the grade to be an a plus there's also right? no
1: one more popular coming out of the combine. Than Anthony Richardson, Richardson or C.J. Stroud,
0: who I mean throwing against air, and you would have thought that you know he was uh, winning Super Bowl
1: MVP. I, I, as a rookie. I think so. Going with what's most popular, I think C.J. Stroud to me is the least exciting of these guys. That's not a knock at him. I just think in terms of popularity, well, yeah, Bryce yeah. Young and Anthony Richardson would probably be more popular, divisive. You know, one because of inconsistency, one because of his height and his size. Which probably means C.J. Stroud's the guy they should take, (laughs) right? There's just not a lot of questions about C.J. Stroud. The biggest question about about C.J. Stroud, I asked Bobby Carpenter about this, is he wasn't great against Michigan in back-to-back years, but he looked really good against Georgia in the playoff this year. But here's the thing. The scouts go out and
0: they bring things back, and they're looking for traits, right? Yeah. They're trying to compare a player. Which is what Dan Mullen did when he compared to Cam Newton. That's an easy comparison based on the size, speed, athleticism. But and also, then you, bring, you think, bring in, I don't know why you hire Frank Reich to not listen to his recommendation on what he wants at the position.
1: I, I agree. And I also think at quarterback, you are looking for traits, all the things that the tangible things we've talked about accuracy, speed, yep. strength how elusive you are, all those things. Quarterback, I'm looking at every intangible. Everything. And everything I've ever heard or read about Bryce Young is he knocks the intangibles out of the park. Not to say that C.J. Stroud doesn't too, and not to say that Anthony Richardson is some bad guy or anything, but I hear that Bryce Young goes above and beyond in the intangible department. Let's
0: also put this out. The two disclaimers uh, on uh, on behalf of uh, the Outkick 360 public service announcement. Number one, today's the day when you double check the Twitter account and don't get fooled on fake tweets that are coming out about the NFL. That's number one. Number two, don't get caught in what is a very cyclical reporting cycle of the NFL draft. We've gone full circle here where Bryce Young all fall was the guy that Houston wanted. Then Houston goes for two and wins the game. As Lovey Smith is on his way out and the Bears end up with pick number one, Carolina trades for it. And now all of a sudden, right after the combine, Anthony Richardson is being mentioned here uh, through Peter King and through, per Peter King, it's Frank Reich's favorite quarterback. But I always go back to what's been the overriding theme. The theme is it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. And I don't think Frank Reich goes into it and says, let's just roll the dice again. Here we go. And wait on the development. Now, maybe they go out and sign a veteran QB, Chad, and uh, they pair him with Anthony Richardson. But then again, you wouldn't have to trade up to number one to do that. And that's exactly what they've done.
1: I also think when you just draft number one, uh, even if it's Anthony Richardson, you throw him to the wolves. You throw him out there. I agree. Uh, number you're one, you're drafting me the guy. Like, let's get the this pl- thing yeah. going. Like, he can learn on the job as we go. If you're going to draft him number one overall, you're saying he's got everything mentally that we need in a quarterback, so he can learn on the job. Um, someone in our YouTube chat, Tony says, C.J. Stroud is boring with a high floor. Stroud is Matt Ryan 2.0. I don't know if he meant that as a compliment or a diss, but how many NFL teams would like Matt Ryan's production for the years that Atlanta had him? Sure. As a former number one overall pick. MVP. I mean, I, I hear MVP. that and I think that's really good. If you're saying CJ Stroud is Matt Ryan 2.0. That's I, I that's think really good that. for Carolina,
0: right? Yes. That's the quarterback. If I said Black, behind this
1: door is Matt Ryan's career 2.0. Unless he's comparing him to Matt Ryan now. In the NFC South. Yeah, Clarify what year you're talking about. Are you about? talking about Matt Ryan in the second half of the Super Bowl <laughs> he played in? Or the first half? Or the Falcons early, Matt Ryan, or the Colts, Matt Ryan. Let's let's at this clarify. rate, Matt Ryan's
0: going to end up in New York unless the, the unless the Jets can find out something from Aaron Rodgers. They've got to be sweating it today uh, with all the quarterback news. Garoppolo uh, in Vegas to the Raiders, official on Wednesday. Uh, just real quick, just running through the other news. Baker Mayfield, Armando had this March first. Um, the Buccaneers are targeting him. Jarrett Stidham goes from Vegas to Denver the uh, Houston Texans who were in on, they, they were being mentioned for Garoppolo. They end up going with Case Keenum. They'll, Case Keenum will be backing up whoever they draft at number two overall. Chad uh, saw the contract extension for one of your favorite coaches, Dennis Gates at Missouri. And what a nice run they had in the SEC tournament. But he's rewarded for what's been a a very phenomenal season compared to where they were a year ago. I
1: love the way they play. You can tell uh, personality-wise they play hard for him. And teams that quickly adopt the head coach's personality and style, that's a sign of really good coaching to me. And that's what Dennis Gates is. I may be the only person picking Missouri over Utah State. Based on all analysis I've read, based on everything I've seen, Utah State – by the way, Vegas is picking Utah State as the 10 seed. They're a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Missouri as the 7th seed, but I I think they're going to win that game. But just the fact that they're in the NCAA tournament, they returned one true contributor from last year, Kobe Brown, who's a really good player and was a star for Missouri this year, but with freshmen, with a lot of transfers, he was able to quickly transform that roster and get them to an NCAA tournament, to the semis of the SEC tournament. Incredible job in year one and smart of Missouri to lock him up. And Will Wade is back in coaching.
0: He's the new head coach at McNeese State. Um, so he does have a chance to climb the ladder once again. Uh, Strong-ass offers. They're headed your way. McNeese Dan Dockich
1: always you know, tells us the, the line almost every time he joins us about, you know, if you're going to get fired, you just can't get fired for losing. You can come back yeah. if you get fired for anything else. Well, Will Wade got caught with his hand in the cookie jar on a few occasions. It was a strong-ass offer at at LSU. Gets fired for, you know, the traditional route, paying players of what's gone on for a long time. Chris Beard gets fired for a different reason. Guess what? I think Will Wade went to three NCAA tournaments in five years at LSU. Had a really good team one year. Chris Beard, we know what he can do as a coach at multiple stops now. And what are those guys doing? They're working. Now, Will Wade's fall from LSU to McNeese State's a little more severe than Chris Beard's fall from Texas to Ole Miss.
0: Yes. Uh, Chad, A&M, they're a seven seed, and I think you're you're spot on, and I think the other thing that the committee and the the tournament would love, they they love pairing certain storylines to meet up down the path of the bracket. And in round two, in the round of 32, Texas and Texas A&M could potentially tip off. And we don't have to wait for kickoff, you wait for tip off in, in this matchup. I absolutely believe that played a factor as well. You can seed them down all you want, but they also put them in the same bracket for a reason.
1: Yeah, no, that it was this is the classic. We're gonna get this is the like Louisville, Kentucky with Yeah, the team. we're gonna get the matchup that we want, whether it be a coach versus his former assistant or two schools with bad blood, or two coaches with bad blood, or whatever it may be. Texas, Tech a and makes a ton of sense for the NCAA tournament. to get a lot of eyeballs on that game in round two. And I think it's really threefold here. To get Texas, Tech a and knowing the Longhorns were going to be a two seed, you put AM as a seven seed. Two, talked about it earlier, Buzz Williams' rant a year ago yeah. against the NCAA tournament selection committee. They don't forget. They're like elephants. They remembered. <laughs> they got them the next year. Three, the big knock on AM a year ago was non-conference scheduling, and Buzz Williams didn't schedule much better. And they sucked in the non-conference, even with a bad non-conference schedule. So I think they were overly penalized for a bad non-conference because it was almost like the NCAA said, We told you a year ago, you know, we warned you all the talk was your non conference scheduling was weak and you didn't do particularly well. So the late run didn't help. And I think they're saying the same thing now this year. I don't, I don't think it's right. I look at a and and I watch them. I think probably four or five seed. More realistically, probably a five seed in this tournament. But the selection committee says otherwise. Are you like me whenever you fill
0: out the bracket? So we were told, what, 10 days ago probably, have Drake winning in your bracket. And now every, they're, they're the most popular pick uh, among the upsets on the path to the, the Sweet 16 um, and looking at some of the bracket analysis for what the millions upon millions of people are, are picking. Because of that, whenever I'm filling out a bracket, I can't have them win. Like Mentally, I'm like, well, okay, if Drake falls out here and I continue down the path and everyone else is knocked out on the bracket, that gives me a couple extra points. That's how I go about filling it out in Pin.
1: Yeah, so... I think that you can get into some paralysis, uh, uh, paralysis by analysis when you're looking at games. If you go too in depth on some of them, People so I try Drake. to avoid that. I'll give you my example: Charleston. Okay, Charleston's this fun group. They won a ton of games. They shoot threes within five seconds of the shot clock. That they're they're going to be a team. You know, they're like uh, Maryland, Baltimore County. You know, UMBC. A few a few years ago is what I think about with them. I, for that reason, I I have San Diego State beating them as a five over 12, much like you have Drake losing as the 12 seed. Now I have three 12 seeds beating five seeds. Drake is one of them. So I didn't go with that thought process on Drake. I picked them to win, but I, I went against Charleston only because they're going to be a trendy pick.
0: And what a, what a great matchup for a potential Cinderella in Furman. So they end their 40-year tournament drought by winning the SoCon. Won 27 games. They attempt 27 threes per game. And they get Virginia known for that defense uh, in round one, a four and a 13. So you could potentially have Furman and Charleston uh, matching up in the second round this weekend.
1: I also mentioned uh, UMBC. Yeah. Their coach, Ryan Odom, Dave Odom's son, is now the coach for Utah State, who is a favorite over Missouri, 10 over seven. So full circle there with Virginia. Furman's just so similar in how they play to Virginia. So I feel like if it was a contrasting style to that slow-it-down, pack-line defense in Virginia, then I think they'd have a better shot. But I I took Virginia um, for that reason. Hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick360. Coming up, Andrew
0: Bogut will join us, and we'll give the latest on John Morant as the the off-the-court saga continues and and for all the the bad reasons. That's next on OutKick360. So Chad, you're on board with the idea that Rodgers is just going to announce what he's doing with Pat McAfee tomorrow, right?
1: Yeah, I also I don't know either way. I, I don't also don't know that the Jets have to be a part of this in the Packers. So if, even if they had the deal done right now, would they really want Aaron Rodgers announcing their trade on Pat McAfee? Well, the, to it's to already been this? reported
0: that they've that they've done the negotiation on the trade end of things that they're fine with the compensation, whatever it is. Yeah and now they're just waiting to find out if Rodgers wants to play.
1: But you see what I'm saying? It it would be one thing. I would be much more confident in saying Rodgers will break the news on Pat McAfee's show if it was just Aaron Rodgers a free agent signing somewhere or coming out of retirement or whatever, if he was the decision-maker in it all. But he's not the only decision-maker. So do I think that he's going to make the announcement on behalf of the Jets and the Packers? I don't know. I, I feel like it'll be leaked beforehand if that's the case, right? Like, are they going to just would, hold back so. and not say anything? I think the Packers and will say, get out. Yeah, Aaron, you go announce it however you want. High on ayahuasca on Pat McAfee's no, show I, or I whatever.
0: The, the Panthers just want to wash their hands. see the Panthers. The, the, the Packers just want to wash their hands of it.
1: Yeah, they probably don't care, but I'm saying with two teams and a player involved, I just don't know they're going to leave it up to Rodgers to announce the whole deal. Yeah, so here's the compensation also. I don't think, think they know. Guys, I've got this in front of me. Compensation on the deal is going to be for me on behalf of the Jets. It's like, I mean, that's just odd to me. Um,
0: so uh, San Francisco now has three, or excuse me. Uh, but two, I hope he announces there. Two third-round picks, or third overall picks playing for them. They have Trey Lance, and they've recently just signed Sam Darnold as well. He replaces, in effect, on the roster, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's the next quarterback with the Raiders, at least for now, prior to the NFL draft. That
1: deal will get the people going. Anytime you, you bring go. on a veteran that repeat as a backup, you know, that'll... Niners fans are just ecstatic and over then, the addition of Sam Darnold. And you have a seventh round pick who's
0: your likely starter in Brock Purdy. Chad, uh, switching gears, John Morant in the headlines uh, for all the wrong reasons. And he. It, photos surfaced, which you can see at Outkick. New York Post had them, where you can see Morant in a strip club in Denver. Uh, same place where, you know, they see the gun visible and all that on a recent road trip, which is league business, which is against league policy. And you see him in the champagne room, uh, getting, uh, done what happens at a strip club, right? He's getting his private dance. Money is everywhere. I wouldn't begin to guess how much money you think is all over the floor. Uh, in, in this room,
1: it doesn't all look like real money. I, I I glanced the photo, just glanced at it. You, you think and it a, looks like... Uh, Monopoly money. Like It looks like it's p- like really thin paper money, some of it. Uh, it. I mean, it's flooded. The whole room is flooded. It's like if a corporation started shredding documents yeah, all I, over the office and it was just everywhere. That's what the cash on the floor looks like <laughs> in this gentleman's club. Shotgun Willys is the name of this establishment. By the way, can't be good for your high-end clientele. Yeah. At Shotgun Willie's, if they're releasing security footage to New York Post of John Morant in a VIP room, well, that would be one that I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I know that uh, some Outkick writers were DMing some of the dancers <laughs> at this place, and they weren't responding, and I'm thinking, I mean, the dancers are more confidential than the place. Whoever has access to the security footage. Gilbert Arenas
0: had, had quite the tug-and-cheek post. Uh, can all the media outlets apologize to John Morant for the smear campaign? Uh, he goes on to say, he's shown here donating his money and time to a local historic place called Shotgun Willie's <laughs> that houses uh, females of the community due to the lack of funding from the city. Uh, that from Gilbert Arena. That's pretty funny. Who got away with all kinds of stuff yeah. uh, in recent interviews.
1: That's, that's um, really funny from Gilbert. A,
0: a serious tone, though, that Morant continues to be on his sabbatical the NBA has got to get this right. They, they have to make sure they're doing everything possible. Uh, and, and at some point, it's on Morant. And it, it starts with him. But listening to Charles Barkley over the weekend, uh, Shaquille O'Neal certainly chimed in too. There are a number of former players, coaches, uh, those around the game, they're saying, it's, it's time that someone steps in and does something. That's being done on behalf of the Grizzlies right now. But there were opportunities to do that well before last week, based on how things have gone. And if you stand aside too long, Chad, we know where this is headed. It's not going to end well for John ja Morant, who has everything in front of him. One of the top players on the planet um, has Memphis and the, the Grizzlies organization as a contender because of him. And instead, he's getting his mind right on a sabbatical um, instead of helping his team as the postseason nears.
1: Well, and, you know, the number one priority for the NBA is they don't want to be called racist about any of this, right? So that, that's the last thing they want. When there was the malice in the palace, if you remember David Stern at the time, what was the response to that? We're going to have a dress code now? Yeah. We're going to do things differently? We're going to be a little bit more business-like? in uh, appearance, right? That was kind of the thing. And then now, that's looked back upon as being racist. That The, the dress code and everything else that happened in the league at the time. So, I, I just think when your number one priority is you don't want to offend and you don't ever want to be have the perception of being racist at all, I, I think that you can misstep when it's the number one priority is not the integrity of the league and what's best for the league. Period. We're going to do what's right for the league. We're going to do what's best for the league, discipline-wise, everything else. They need John Morant to be a superstar and be likable and not be caught up in all this mess. That's what's best for the league. But you look incredibly soft when you allow him to take his own sabbatical. And it's not called a suspension when this happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got... So Powerade, for instance, he's already losing um, potential ad dollars headed his way um, and advertisements that he was going to be a part of. Powerade announced that John ja Morant was going to be the new face of the brand. Uh, the largest marketing campaign in its history was how it was announced. And he suspended within three days of this after flashing a gun at the nightclub in Denver. And now all of Morant's new ads have been wiped of the internet that from front office sports through Powerade. Um, here's hoping whatever's going down right now is in the best interest of Morant and making sure that he understands what he could potentially be losing out on. Andrew Bogut joins us at his uh, early morning Tuesday in Australia, and got the NCAA tournament coming up. He's Naismith Player of the Year, formerly, and NBA champ as well. Andrew, good to see you, man. Hope things are well.
2: How's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: How how are things there in Australia?
2: Yeah, pretty good. Going all right. Uh, we're in the middle of our National League final series, actually, so okay. we have um, we have Game 5 of our final game five. It's a five-game series of our finals tomorrow. So um, I'm part owner in the Sydney Kings and we're playing the New Zealand Breakers. So um, hopefully we get a win. No doubt.
0: As you're joining us, we're discussing John Morant and uh, how the NBA behind the scenes may be doing something, but publicly they've been standing by while things have been going on right in front of us. And now we see that he's on, I've called it a sabbatical. They won't call it a suspension. Uh, As you see this play out in front of everyone, what comes to mind and and what the NBA should or or could be doing.
2: It's just interesting to see uh, the tact that Adam Silver's taken uh, in his reign. I mean, he's he's very soft on on numerous different things. Um, as a former player, I'm happy to say I, I think it's way too much of a players' league right now. Um, I think David Stern was probably the opposite. You know, as David Stern was iron fist and and really hard on on penalties, probably too much at times. I think Adam Stewart is the opposite, you know, um, scared to make tough decisions, scared to be too hard on players. And I think this is an example that, you know, John Morant make, make, made a mistake a few times, you know, a few times, he had a few gun issues. Um, he should take his medicine and then and then we should forgive him and he should move on. But um, they're scared to give the prescription to that medicine, uh, which is kind of intriguing.
1: Yeah, you, know, you were a champion with the, the Warriors and and you've got this feud going on between the Warriors and the Grizzlies right now. And, Draymond Green fired back at Dylan Brooks and said, "It's no rivalry because we have four titles and you have none." Uh, wh- what? Do you, where do you side on that in terms of the bad blood between those two teams? Is it is the Grizzlies trying to become a team that's going to win their first championship?
2: I, I like the back and forth. I think um, in, in a watered down world uh, with sport, especially um, when the lights are on, there's a bit of fake, you know, push and shove, but nothing ever happens. I like a, I like a bit of that. But I think Draymond's right. I think the Grizzlies for me, they're not there yet. They're not there yet to talk the way they're talking. And um, I think they're a good team, but I wish they would just calm down on all the antics and the talking until they get a few championships or or at least get there. And I think they're they're putting the the you know the cart before the horse, essentially. Um they need to just stay a little bit more humble and and get their championships and and then hopefully they can they can talk the talk, but um, I'm not sold on the Grizzlies. I think in a playoff series, um, I think they're they're a front running team, and I just don't think they'll grind out grind out a seven game series. in My opinion.
1: So Kendrick Perkins implied uh, on ESPN that when Dirk Nowitzki, when Steve Nash, when Nikola Jokic won MVP, it was because racism was at play because they weren't top ten in the league scores when they when they won. Now ESPN has since uh, issued an apology on behalf of Kendrick Perkins because he butchered the, the, I guess, the races of all the NBA MVP voters. Um, Where do you fall on this when you hear something like that from Kendrick Perkins, Andrew, what, what comes to mind for you?
2: Uh, I, I got into a perk a little bit online about it because, you know, I I think it's ridiculous. I think you can't take away what, what, what Nash and, and Dirk did in those years um, and to to bring whenever you bring race into an argument or sexuality or gender or into an argument like that, you've already lost the argument. Like it had no, there was no bearing to bring that into an argument, right? Um, and basically, not not knowing that that you know the, the exact uh, breakdown of of everyone's race that votes. Um, and just gone gung ho on, on, on saying what he said was ridiculous. And I'm, I'm glad ESPN actually came out and finally, you know, went against something that was nice, a race, a race narrative push, which they, they love to do a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just silly by Perk. Look, he made a mistake. Um, I wish he'd made his mistake, but he did double down the next day or the day after by saying he stated the facts, which was kind of interesting. So, Um, Hopefully he learns from it. Look, he's 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 put on there to be a a shock jock type and say outlandish, outrageous things to try and get clicks and debates. And I get it, you know that we're talking about it right now, so I guess you could say they've won. But this one was was a little bit silly. I hope it hope it's the last time he he goes down that that road.
1: And I said the day after, the biggest problem is that there's no hesitation to call something racist. Right? It's it's certain media companies. It's well, you can just do that and get away with it. No one's gonna. No one's going to say anything about it. That, that's odd to me. That should be the last place you go if you don't truly know someone's heart is to call them racist or call something racist. So, you know, at, at, after that happens, I started thinking about the, the dynamics in a locker room. And we talked to a number of former pro athletes and said that's the place where you can talk about anything. And it's with your teammates, and you can kind of work through it. But everything is available to talk about. Was that the case in NBA locker rooms? As long as you were around with with your teammates, that you could talk about everything, or are there things that players are maybe afraid to discuss if they feel like they're on the dif- a different side of an argument with their teammate?
2: Ah, uh, both. I've had I've had locker rooms where um, you know you can have uh, open discussions about certain things. Probably not in the locker room. It'd be more with individual guys. Um, Harrison Barnes was a guy that I really enjoyed spending time with because we had some. Some heated debates about different things about the world. Um, I'm, you know, obviously I was a migrant technically to the US. And um, you know, my family migrated from Croatia to Australia, so faced our own battles with racism at times and all that kind of stuff. And then Harrison had a whole different tack with it, you know, growing up in Iowa. So it was interesting to have that debate, but we could have it as adults. Like we we could actually You know, prod each other about different things. Oh, I didn't realize that, and I learned things from him, and vice versa. But then there's there were some guys that you just couldn't have a discussion because it was just the the mainstream narrative of of whatever they you know gurgitated from ESPN or CNN or MSNBC, right? Um, So the other dangerous thing with all this is when you when you um, you know label everything racist or sexist is the very fact that when when something actually is racist or sexist, it becomes watered down to people, and that's a dangerous dangerous way to go because when there actually is a case of something that's really horrendous, um, someone said something really horrendous or did something horrendous or discriminated against someone and you see it in the news because you see it every day with, with these things that aren't, aren't really that. I think people become immune to it and don't care as much. So you got to be very, very careful um, doing things like, you know, what, what Kendrick Perkins did, I think.
0: Andrew Bogut, our guest on Outkick 360. I, Honestly, we're at a point, you're mentioning it, I'm I'm not surprised with what Perkins said. I was surprised with J.J. Redick and his response, because I just don't hear or see that uh, in the position that he was in there with ESPN, personally. And Redick has been uh, someone that's been very vocal on many of the, the woke issues of the NBA. But in this case, Perkins wants to say he's spitting facts, so was J.J. Redick.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I agree. I think JJ is pretty good. I think he calls it how he sees it, but he generally tows the the line that he's supposed to tow, but for him to come out and and hit back that hard was was good to see. It was just good to good to have that debate. Now, I don't know if, you know, I, I doubt that one was orchestrated and a lot of it is orchestrated to have, you know, hey, uh, you're on the desk today, buddy, and you're going to go opposite. Yeah. You're going to disagree with, with the host and we're going to cause a bit of an outrage. I don't think that this one was that orchestrated, uh, but you know, it's, yeah, I think JJ does a pretty good job of of being against the narrative. I mean, I, I disagree with what he said previously about different things about, like, the game's more physical today and whatnot, but I I respect kind of what he does just because he has an opinion.
0: Andrew, help me with this. So, Chad and I have had the debate, I and I, I think he's right down the line with me on this. I don't think NBA coaches have all that much power. Um Am I dead on wrong with that? Or in your experience, is it the players that run everything and the coaches are simply, here's the scouting report. Have at it.
2: Yeah. The game, the game you're spot on. The game's completely changed. Um, And it it kind of changes as I was going year by year um, in the league. I joined the league in 2005 and it was still a coaches run league then under David Stern. And, it was still, you know, there was some hard nosed coaches. I played for Scott Skiles, who was very hard nosed, and but I respected I respected him greatly. A very high basketball IQ, but hard nosed. He made you work. You're gonna work for your check. Like we're not we're not here to just, you know, coast through things. But uh, the way I would equate it is, you know, back then it was it was, you know, most coaches, it was 70, 80, 90 percent X's and O's was, was was the important thing to have on the resume. How can they coach? How can they draw up plays? What sets do they run? How are they defensively? I think today it's gone 70 80 percent people management um the x's and o's aren't as important by far uh, it's completely flipped on its head and it's about how you can how you can identify you know converse with your best player How what's your relationship like how can you handle the guy that's not getting minutes that's that's now salty and wants to you know go crazy how can you handle cancer in the locker room how can you handle you know, two players that don't get along. It's all people management. And I think, you know, Steve Kerr did a fantastic job of that. And that's the way the game's going. You know, you got to know each guy. Hey, I know this guy. If I if I cuss him out, he's going to respond. Draymond Green's probably an example. Steve Kerr knew that if he had a bit of, Draymond's playing bad and you, you get into him a little bit, he's going to go back at you, but he's going to yeah. then fire up. Whereas there's other players, you might need to give a hug. Um, you can't paint them all with the same brush. And, and that's what it's become in, in NBA basketball. It's knowing personalities. And if, if you don't get along with your players, you can be Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach. You're going to get fired. And that's the unfortunate reality of where the game is today. It's, it's, it's very, very kind of cotton wool mentality with managing players. And, and it is a player-run league, heavily player-run league in uh, 2023.
0: Andrew Bogut, our guest, the host of... The uh, podcast uh, Rogues Bogues, um, which you can check out uh, wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, final thing for you What is the solution for the NBA with load management? And what does the league owe the fans, especially on the road, when the top players are sitting out, not because they're hurt, but because the future possible injury could be impacted by the workload that they're giving on a daily basis?
2: I mean, this is a Rubik's cube of a of a uh, discussion. Um, is it a big issue? It, I think it is. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. It's not the players. It's like let's let's get this straight. Like as a former player, I was told a few games when I was in in certain teams. Like we're not playing you tonight. We're just going to rest you. And it was like, okay, do I have any say? No. Like we want <laughs> we want to rest you tomorrow, right? So, like you said, it's it's the risk of future injury. It's you've had previous injuries. We don't want to overload you. I mean, the solution maybe what one that's been suggested is, you know, you have a minimum number of games played for any bonuses or any um all-star boats or any any awards. So defensive player of the year or defensive team, all NBA team. But that's only a select group of players in itself. So that's only 30 or 40 players, right? That get these awards. So it still hasn't sold it completely, but they, they need to do something. Um, you know, on the podcast I do with Rogue Bowes, we've got a guy named Mike Procopio who was a, you know, an NBA assistant coach. Um for a number of years at Dallas Mavericks. He's got his own little fastball business. He suggested that, that there's an insurance policy on ticket purchases um, to fix this. So if you buy a ticket, oh. well, let's say it was actually quite a good idea. Um, if you buy a ticket to see, you know, the Phoenix Suns and you want to see Kevin Durant, um, you get an insurance policy with it. You pay an extra 10 bucks or whatever. And, if he doesn't play, you get a refund of a 60 percent for that ticket, uh, or you get you get some sort of goods, or you get free you know free drinks or free con- you know condiments whatever whatever it is. Um, and that was quite a quite interesting of a way to play it. And I don't think that's a bad idea. But there's no one way to solve it. And and if you put in if you put in rules that are hard line to stop it, there's the NBA the, the teams and players can cheat. It. I've got I've got back spasms. They don't show up on a scan. They don't show up anywhere. You don't know if I've got back spasms. I'm telling you, I do, and I can't walk properly. Well, how's the NBA going to stop that? So they're they're in a tough spot to 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 mandate any kind of rules. But I think the bonus uh, bonuses on their contracts for rewards is is probably a start. And maybe you set it at 70 games minimum to be in contention for an award. I think that's pretty fair.
0: Andrew Bogut has been our guest. Check out Rogue Bogues uh, the podcast and on YouTube. Should have mentioned that as well. Uh, wherever you find your audio. Uh, and download to your phone. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much, man, for the perspective today, uh, Monday here, Tuesday there, and uh, have a great day uh, as you're uh, you're getting it started
2: there. Always, thanks for having me, yeah, man.
0: There, Andrew Bogut, um, cool there, and uh, great perspective from the NBA fun uh, chat. Point of you there. Um, coming up, final analysis as we look ahead to some of the bigger storylines from the NCAA tournament and snubbed. There's a team that we haven't mentioned that feels like they deserve in based on what they did with the team on the bubble. That's next. Now get 360. Sixth in Peabody, our location. Glad you're with us as we wrap up this Monday. Chad, all the coverage is on North Carolina. Uh, the bubble team that didn't make it. The team I've heard a lot about, though, is Rutgers, yep. who has wins over Purdue, Penn State, and Indiana, but they've also lost to Minnesota and Temple and Seton Hall, and that keeps them out. And Clemson was also among the first four out. They have not two, but three victories over NC State, the Wolfpack getting in as the uh, at large Clemson. It has to sting knowing that the at-large team from the ACC and NC State get in, knowing that if you're a Tigers fan, you beat them every time you face them.
1: Yeah, Oklahoma State, the first team out, you know, according yeah. to the NCAA, is not even getting the same talk as Rutgers. No. I think Rutgers gets the benefit of close to a major, major media market in New York, and they've always been seen as a bad program and everything. So they're the constant Cinderella story if they're doing anything good. Yeah, you're right. So they're going to get the bulk of media coverage, and they're benefiting from that right now. The other one we're going to hear all about until they play is Northwestern because so many sports writers went to Northwestern, and that's all they're going to talk about is this is the second time ever <laughs> that Northwestern has been in the NCAA men's tournament, ever. The last one was, what, three or four years ago? Yeah. Yeah. They were in it, so it you're going like to hear a lot about Northwestern over the next few days as well. And a lot about the tournament. We've got plenty of coverage
0: both here on 360 and at OutKick.com. NFL free agency just getting started, officially signed on Wednesday. A lot will happen. We're still on Aaron Rodgers' watch. Maybe it happens by the time we start tomorrow at 3 o'clock Eastern. Hope you'll join us for OutKick 360 here across the OutKick network.
2: And so I thank, I thank all of you, and I am, because you are.